God's eighth commandment is simply this. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Simple. Easy, right? It's, it's very narrow. It's just saying, don't tell lies. It's not even saying just don't tell lies in general. It's very narrow. It's saying don't tell lies about your neighbor. Not even don't tell lies about anything to your neighbor. Don't tell lies about your neighbor. But there's more. The question, what, what does this mean? And the old theologian, Martin Luther, he said this. He says, the Eighth Commandment means that we should fear and love God that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, okay? But also, not betray him or give him a bad name, but defend him, speak well of him, and take his words and actions in the kindest possible way. And throughout all the commandments, this one included, it's not really the don't do this that gets me. It's the do all these things that pierces my heart and makes me, when I find out what it's saying, just hang my head and go, oh, oh, I guess I haven't really kept the commandment. Defend him, speak well of him, take all the words and actions in the kindest possible way. Oh. To dive into the Eighth Commandment, we're going to look at a father-son duo real quickly here. Saul and Jonathan from 1 Samuel chapter 19. Here's what happened. Saul, the king of Israel, he told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? And now the whole story is that, verse 6, it didn't last very long. But for a moment, at least, Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. That's God's word. Now, to be clear, Saul had all the power. He had all the cards. He was the king. He could do pretty much whatever he wanted. And he was not above harming people or killing people. His dissidents or people who he thought were his enemies or people who might even harm him in the future. He wasn't against hurting them. And David, he thought, was one of those people. David had killed Goliath. He had had military success after success. And Saul had given him, rightly, a high rank in the army. But here's the thing that, that ate at Saul. David had an incredible reputation. The people, all the people loved him. They literally sang his praises in the streets. And it wasn't just all the people in Israel. It was Saul's own family. His son Jonathan, best friends with David. And at this time, Saul's daughter, Michael, was married to David. And they loved each other. And Saul could not take it. If you read the couple chapters before chapter 19, you'll find out that Saul, he tried to kill David by throwing a spear at him. He tried to kill David by having him killed in battle. And in chapter 18 alone, three times God tells us that Saul was afraid of David because of the great reputation he had with the people and because Saul knew 
that the Lord was also with David and the Lord wasn't with him because he had rejected God. David had the reputation. He had everything. And Saul had the power and he desperately wanted to keep the power. So Saul told his son Jonathan, kill your best friend. Now, be Jonathan for a minute. Can you imagine your father or anyone in authority telling you, kill your best friend because I'm jealous of them? I wonder what Jonathan was thinking. Maybe, maybe two, two different things and there could have been more. He may have been thinking, well, if I kill David, which I'm not going to do, but if I did, if my dad is willing to kill David, what's he willing to do to me, even if I kill David? Because he knew I was friends with David. Or what if, what if I don't kill David? What kind of position is that going to put me in with my father? And as you heard, Jonathan did not kill David. In fact, he, he not only didn't kill him, he kept the Eighth Commandment when it came to David. He spoke well of him. He defended him. He, he took his words and actions in the kindest possible way. He spoke the truth to his father, even risking his own life. He spoke the truth to his father about David. He said, David has not wronged you. In fact, he has greatly benefited you. He killed the Philistine and risked his life. He is innocent. In other words, dad, king, stop trying to kill him and know I will not help you. He kept the Eighth Commandment wonderfully. Saul, on the other hand, not so much. There was no defending David and, and really the, well, part of the heart of Saul's issue was he assumed the worst. He did not take David's actions and words in the kindest possible way. He assumed bad instead of good. He assumed David was out to get him. He assumed that David wanted to wrestle the throne away from him. And the issue underneath the issue is that Saul was just concerned about his reputation. He wanted people to praise him, to recognize that he had power, to recognize that he was the king, and he wanted people to think that he was a good king, and he thought the way to get that was by getting rid of David. His self-consumption drove him to evil. And it all centered on reputation. Now, take yourself. You're, you're, uh, you're sitting at home or at work or with your friends or in church and someone looks at you in a certain way. And you think, ooh, I don't know what that means, but oh, it can't be good. It can't be good. They must, they must be upset at me. I, I must have done something. And you tear your insides apart thinking, what did I do? Or what are they thinking? They looked at me in that way. And, and you go in the cycle down and down and down. And then, here's the key, you not only just are, are nervous about what they think of you, you actually have negative thoughts towards them. Because you've convinced yourself that that look they gave you was the worst look in the world and they must have something against you. And you think, what? how could they do that? How could they treat me like that? I haven't done anything to them. And then later they come and talk to you and whoops, turns out they were just looking in your general direction and nothing was wrong at all. And here, not only have you torn apart your insides, but you've actually done evil to them because you did the exact same thing you were accusing them of doing to you because what did they do to you? Why are you thinking evil of them? All of this comes from not assuming the best 
but instead assuming the worst, not taking people's words and actions in the kindest possible way. Now, there's a rather comedic version of this happening, and I, this picture and story has been around for a, a bunch of years now, I think. Um, it, it's up on the screen. And there's more to it, but um, I think the title is Motorcycle Thoughts Run Deep. So you probably can't read any of that, but the story goes like this. Wife and a husband, and they, they go out to eat, and she was a little late getting to dinner because she was out with friends, and you know he just kind of sat down and didn't say anything, wasn't usual, his, his usual bubbly self, and she's writing, Dear Diary, I was late to dinner. I think he's upset with me. We didn't really talk through dinner, so I suggested we, we go somewhere and just have a conversation. So we went there, and you know, he didn't, he didn't really say much. He said less than usual, and we went home. I think he's upset with me, and we sat on the couch. He sat down. I sat on the other end, and, and he didn't say anything. And then I said, I'm going to bed. And he said, okay. And I went to bed, and, and he came to bed, and, and then he fell asleep. And I cried myself to sleep. I'm like, he, he's seeing another woman. He doesn't love me anymore. In his diary, motorcycle won't start. Can't figure out why. Now we chuckle, but stuff like that happens. And when stuff like that happens, we're breaking the Eighth Commandment. Because sure, we're not saying false testimony about people, we're not saying lies about them, but we're thinking lies about them because we're assuming the worst instead of the best. So I, I, asked, you, I asked you earlier, what's better? Thinking too highly of yourself or thinking too lowly of yourself? Now, I already proposed a third way, which is forgetting about yourself altogether. Here's why, though. There's an author, he said this, the problem with esteem I'll just read it. The problem with self-esteem, whether it is high or low, is that every single day we are in the courtroom. We are on trial with self-esteem because we're always, in a sense, judging and measuring ourselves. Whether too high or too low, we're always in the courtroom no matter what. So he said, what about a third way? What about when it comes to reputation and thinking about yourself? You just don't. And Paul was an illustration of this. 1 Corinthians 4, the rest of the passages aren't up there, so don't look for them. He said, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. He's saying, I don't care what you think of me. I don't even really care what I think of myself. Now, he's not, saying, he's not really saying, I don't care what you think. What he's saying is, I don't need you to think a certain way about me. That is not something my soul is thirsting for, for you to think a certain way about me. And that, that is a wonderful, wonderful place to be. And if you're a Christian, that is exactly where you are because of what God thinks about you. You don't need to care deeply what others think about you and not even what you care about yourself. You don't need to worry about hierarchy of, of reputations and who's right and who's wrong. And I, uh, this next paragraph, I, I've gone back and forth about how to say it. So I'll start, I'll start with this. Take stock of, of whom you listen to. 
whether it's people on TV or on YouTube or podcasts or whoever it is that you're listening to, and especially people talking about current events. Take stock of who you're listening to. And if, if it seems like the people you're listening to mostly or their main goal is to show you who's wrong and blame people for things, stop listening. Because two examples here. When it comes to Afghanistan, it is not the most important thing in the world to figure out whose fault it is. Because all sorts of different people are going to tell you different things. They're going to blame this person or that person or this group or that group. But that's not the point. A much better thing is to not even think about the reputations of the people involved and simply be focused on a solution. And it's the same way with all things COVID. Don't get in the trenches of trying to blame people or groups or doctors or whoever. Simply think, how can I be part of a solution? And I'm not saying there's one solution. The point is, you're free from all of that, from all of thinking this person's wrong and my position's right in some way, because that's really what we're always trying to do. We're trying to justify how we think about something. And that's what people on TV and the internet are trying to get you to do too. Trying to say they're wrong, so shame on them. These people are right. And it goes from all different sides. And the thing underneath that problem is that whenever I try to, well, whenever, whenever I say something that ruins someone's reputation or even speak ill of them, almost all the time, it's because I want my reputation to increase. I want them to decrease so that I, whether it's other people thinking well of me or it's me thinking better of myself, I want myself to increase. And the issue beneath that issue is that there's a part of us, even if you're a Christian, there's a part of us that isn't quite satisfied with the reputation God has given us. We're not quite satisfied in moments here and there with being called a son or daughter of the Most High God. We think, yeah, that's great. And again, we would never say this out loud, right? But we think, that's wonderful. But I gotta, I gotta have a good reputation with that group of people or with these people or to myself. I need something just a little bit better than the Lord God and Savior calling me his beloved son or daughter. And then think back to Paul saying, I don't care what you think of me. I don't even care what I think of myself. How could he say that? He goes on. He says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And he's not just, he's not just content with that. He's confident in the fact that the Lord is his judge. And how could that be the case? The answer is what God tells us in 1 Peter. It says, Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. On the cross, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. 
Jesus kept the Eighth Commandment absolutely perfectly all the time. He kept it perfectly on the cross, but he still chose to carry our sins. He chose to carry my failures every time I've assumed the worst, even of one of you or of someone in my family or someone who I care about. Every time I've tried to put down someone's reputation in order to buoy myself up, even if I don't think like that in the moment. He carried all my sins. He was willing to lose his reputation. Being crucified was the worst. It was a reputation destroyer. It was meant to humiliate you. He was willing to lose his reputation to take all of my sins and yours and everyone's out there so that we would never lose our reputation. So that God saying, you are my dearly loved son or daughter, so that that would never, ever be taken away. There was a pastor a few years back and he had three kids and he told the story of how he was late for a very important meeting. He couldn't find his keys and his kids loved playing with his keys. So he assumed that one of them had moved them, played with them, left them somewhere. So he's like, where are they? And they all promised him, we, we haven't touched them, we haven't moved them, we haven't taken them. I, I don't know where they are, but I, but I promise. And then he said this, he said, I was red-faced and just about ready to order mass executions when I stuck my hand in my pocket and my keys were there. Like a clown who can't find the sunglasses perched on his own head, the keys had been there the entire time. And he said, I've, I've told that story a bunch over the years and every time people chuckle and rightly so because they think, what kind of silly person would get so worked up at their kids when the keys were right in their pocket the whole time. And everyone laughs. And then he says, the answer is, all of us. Because in our day-to-day -day lives, we're searching around for what we think our hearts need most of all and we don't have. Acceptance, love, reputation, security. We're searching in all these places and maybe getting frustrated because we don't have it. We know it should be right there, but it's gone. Someone must have moved it. Someone must have taken it away and we're searching all over the place. And he said, this is why the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has forgiven all of your sins and made you secure for all eternity. He says, this is why it's so good news. Because all those things, including reputation that we're searching for and we try to get by putting other people down and we mess it up by assuming the worst. He said, the gospel is God shouting from the heavens. The keys are already in your pocket. Dear Christian, you are free, completely free from worrying about what others think of you or thinking you have to prove yourself to them or that you have to prove yourself to yourself. You don't need to be like Saul and do everything you possibly can to guard your reputation because the best reputation possible is already yours. It is in your pocket. God put it there and it's never falling out. You are someone that God loves most highly. And you can't lose it because God is guarding it. And because you already have the best reputation possible, here's one simple thing for you to do. Enhance someone else's reputation. 
Who's, whose reputation can you enhance today? It might be you just go up to them and give them a compliment and make their day. It might be you go up to them and tell them, hey, I don't know if you know, but Jesus loves you and I care about you too. It might be that you praise them to someone else. Or it might be that you just think a wonderful thought about them in your head. Whose reputation can you enhance today? And that's a great question to ask yourself every day. And the reason why you're free to do that is because you don't have to worry about your own reputation. God has already given you the very best one. Amen.